The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. So this is going to be the last uh, part in the mini-series that we've been working on. The biggest mistakes storytellers make. And uh, I'll probably do more episodes on this topic later, but we're going to end out this mini-series right now with part five. And we're going to talk about oversimplification and how that works, what that means, how does that look inside of your story. So listen, okay? This is a big mistake (laughs) because we like to have our stories be relatable to the audience that we're telling the story to. And see, I just ended the uh, sentence with a preposition. So if I can do it, you can do it, because there's technically no rule against it. Uh, (laughs) It's one of those myths that people get all obsessed about, that if I was copy editing, I would be like, no, that's fine, do it. (laughs) Anyways, back to not editing. Um, So when you oversimplify a story, you're taking the life out of it. And but listen, there's a way you can try to overcorrect for this uh, oversimplification issue. And I want to stop you from doing that too. So we're going to figure out together the best way for you to deal with this really big mistake that a lot of storytellers make. Okay. So listen, listen, I'm going to say this part twice because it's so good. It's so good. Creating an interesting story does not mean that you add a million plot elements, but that you show lifelike complexity in the everyday elements inside your story. Okay, did you did you get that? I'm going to say it again. All right. Creating an interesting story doesn't mean you add a million plot elements. Plot elements are things that happen within the plot. Like an explosion could be a plot element, but that you show lifelike complexity in the everyday elements, you know, inside your story. So what does that mean? All right. So, uh, listen, storytelling has to be adjusted depending on the audience. And one of the things that I see all the time, because I'm a mom, I've got three kids, is that people try to tell lame stories to kids. They're like, kids don't understand. Kids can't understand all these complicated emotions. They can't relate to that. So we're going to make the story as mind-numbingly boring and simple as possible. First of all, you are not giving kids enough credit because kids understand a ton 
I have an eight-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 13-year-old, and they pretty much understand everything my husband and I understand. Okay, the eight-year-old, he <laughs> he's trying to understand politics, which is a little bit difficult for him at this age, uh, but he grasps the idea that um, there are different levels of government and they have different amounts of impact. So that's a complicated idea, and if an eight-year-old can understand that, you might want to change your storytelling techniques if you're talking to kids. And don't be so simple. Kids understand complicated things. And guess what? That means adults understand even more complicated things. But I don't mean complicated as in, first there's a cat that's gotten lost, and then a dragon appears and whisks away the maiden to a land where she finds out that the cat is a tiger and her uncle's the king. But then her brother, like, listen... Okay, yeah, you can have plot elements, which doesn't that sound like an interesting story that I just thought up, by the way? Uh, you can have these plot elements, but adding more plot elements is not going to take the simpleness away from your story, and it's going to make you seem convoluted as an author, which is not what you want, because convolution starts with C-O-N, and you know what other word starts with that? Confusion. I'm sorry, my stomach just growled. Uh, <laughs> I'm not hungry. I don't know why that happened. Um, so you need to realize that if you add too many plot elements, you're going to confuse the reader. And what do confused readers always do? Say it with me. Confused readers stop reading. Okay? So we don't want that because we don't want them to stop reading. So you're like, oh, well, Kristen, what do you mean? What do you mean I can't make my story super complicated by adding more plot elements. No, what I mean for you to do, which this is a big mistake that a lot of storytellers don't do this because they don't feel like it because it's hard, but it's not hard for you because you've got me. They don't wanna show how complicated something as simple as going to the grocery store could be. And am I using that as an example because I went to the grocery store earlier today you bet I am. But you know what? There are all kinds of people in the grocery store. There are complicated things that arise when you go there and you want to buy a specific thing and then it's sold out. And there are frustrations you feel. And then there are adjustments you have to make to your own attitude, to your own expectations, and to now problem solve the fact that the bed you were supposed to buy doesn't exist in the store at this moment and you need a certain typed bed, and you need a bed for under a certain amount of money, and was I buying a bed in Sam's Club today? The answer is yes, I was. But that's, like, real. That's complicated. Like, I went to Sam's Club, and they didn't have the bed that I needed, and I only had a certain amount of money, and I needed to make sure that it fit on the bed frame that I have. And I had to, like, be like, okay, don't get frustrated, Kristen. You can figure this out. Yes, you're going to be $20 in the hole, and that sucks, but there are worse things that could happen. This is not going to balloon into insanity and ruin your day, because today's been a good day so far, hasn't it, self? And myself was like, yes, it has been a good day, uh, despite, you know, certain things that happened during at-home public schooling <laughs> this morning. Uh, but that's, you know, that's a struggle I have every day when my kids are home. Because when they're sitting in class, it's a lot easier for them to pay attention than when I'm sitting at the kitchen table with them, working with them. See, that's something else that's complicated. 
and it makes the story feel real. And you're like, well, Kristen, I write about, uh, I'm trying to think of some kind of otherworldly thing. Uh, my brain just goes straight to D&D, so I'm trying not to, like, just fall into a D&D story <laughs> because that's really fun, and if you haven't played it, it's a really fun thing to do as a writer because you're basically writing in real time with another writer and a whole group of writers, but they're all, you know, it's it's called gameplay. <sighs> I got distracted and overexcited about that. And if Jess, if Jess, if you're listening, I dedicate that uh, side sidetracked thinking about D&D to you because you're the one whose D&D stories I read in emails. Um, let's say, okay, that we've got, I'll do like a steampunk one because I just thought about Charlie Holmberg because her new book is coming out on November 1st and I'm going to read it because I pre-ordered it called Spellbreaker. So let's say you have an apothecary, uh, an apothecary's daughter, which is actually the name of a really interesting book, by the way in case you're wondering. Uh, let's say you have an apothecary's daughter and she's just trying to deliver the drugs to the different people in the village where she lives and things keep getting in the way and the people are getting mad and they're starting to get mad not just at her but at her dad who is the only apothecary. So what can they really do but complain and, uh, you know, maybe throw a flaming jar of oil through his window no that seems like an over escalation but so you've got her and she's trying to help her father's business and she's just really klutzy and she keeps making mistakes and that's realistic and also when people are klutzy we automatically really like them I don't know why that is uh as a really naturally klutzy person I am grateful for that because I just I mean like I spill water all over myself constantly. Like I always have like a water spot on my shirt. So that's why if you see me <laughs> in videos, I have a cup that has a straw now because I don't want to spill water on any of this amazing equipment that I have in my tiny, amazing studio office. So you just, <laughs> these are the things though that make stories more interesting. So like, let's say you have a student and they're, let's say uh, 14, okay? they're 14, they go to school, nothing interesting happens to them. Uh, maybe they're upset because they have an abusive parent, but we don't really get to see how those complicated issues show up in their day at school. You're missing an opportunity there. Of course that would show up in their day at school because maybe they didn't sleep because their abusive parent was screaming at them all night or maybe uh, their friends are covering for them because they know that they had a rough day the day before and so they're like, surrounded around them and trying to keep the teacher from looking at them while they're taking a five-minute nap. These are all things that not only move the plot forward, but they make the reader feel as if they are inside of your story. And that's what you want. And if you have a flat story where the everyday elements don't come in to play, that it's going to feel flat and like no one could possibly live there. And that's one of the notes I make when I'm doing a developmental edit, aka novel coaching now is what everyone calls it because they don't want to have to educate people on what the term developmental editing means, which I can understand because when you're educating someone, it's harder to sell them the thing you're selling, uh, which you should know if you're trying to sell books. They need to, the person needs to understand exactly what the book says, what the story is, because if they're confused, they won't buy it, just like they'll stop reading if they're confused. 
So uh, you need to make sure that you are doing a good job including these everyday elements, which are still driving your plot forward, but you're not adding a bunch of new plot stuff in, which just feels convoluted, like we said. So this is how you avoid oversimplifying your story. Think about the characters like real, real people with real problems, and then write about one-fifth of the problems that might come up. Okay, like we don't need to read about a character going into the bathroom and running out of toilet paper unless it adds depth to the moment they're already in or it moves the plot forward. But if we don't ever write about them uh, doing normal things like drinking water or, you know, feeling upset that their, uh, their 7-Eleven is out of cherry-flavored ices or, sl- they're, sorry, their slushies at 7-Eleven then it doesn't feel real. So you have to really skirt that line of adding details that uh, either make the character more relatable and likable or make the character less likable. For example, if you're writing your antagonist or something like that, and not including any details or including details that just don't matter that no one will care about. And so you're like, okay, but Kristen, how, how do I do that? Well, Think about the things that you really care about. Like, uh, you know, uh, I talk to Maria basically every day and I'll say, hey, how was your day? You know, and she doesn't tell me I got up, I brushed my teeth, I took Cora out to the bathroom. I know she took, I know she's going to take Cora out. I know she's going to brush her teeth. She'll be like, oh, well, this thing happened and it, and it made me happy or this thing happened and it was frustrating or uh, someone tried to poison the dogs in the neighborhood again, and then I want to punch someone because I hate that. Stop poisoning people's animals. Whoever you are that's doing that, that's not okay. It happens in Greece. It happens here in Westmoreland County. Uh, someone killed one of the people in our neighborhood's husky a few months ago, and that was awful. But you see, that's an interesting thing that I just told you, and it sucks. Ugh, it makes me so mad. How could they do that? Such a beautiful, and like not just a beautiful dog, but like the nicest dog. And they threw something poisonous into the neighbor's yard. It's just pure evil. So, you know, like think about the things you want to hear from your friends when they're telling you what happened during the day. Those are the kinds of details that you should include in your story so that it's not flat, so that it's not missing things. Uh, And you can also use story filters. And if you go to literarysymmetry.com forward slash story filters, you can get a free copy of the story filters PDF, uh, which is, you know, uh, how to stop doing the one thing readers hate, which is over description or under description. And you can use the filters to figure out which things you need to keep inside of the story without making the reader think that uh, the green vase on the shelf is so important that they need to hold it in their brain forever which I read that in a book and it led nowhere. And that's why I'm obsessed with that example because it was so irritating. So that's, that's one of the biggest mistakes storytellers make. And if you have a, a mistake that you feel like you want me to cover that I haven't covered in this mini series, go ahead and go to expensivewords.com, click on email the host. That's going to send me an email And I'll be able to do another uh, run of episodes about the biggest mistakes storytellers make sometime in the future. 
Now, though, we're going to be transitioning into, if you're listening to these episodes in a linear manner, we're going to be transitioning into uh, NaNoWriMo prep because NaNoWriMo is starting in less than a week. (laughs) It's getting really close. Today's October 27th. So uh, we're going to be talking about that, and I'm going to do a quick prep for anyone who wants to do it this year. I am not doing it this year because my husband threatened to throw me out. And I know you might say, Travis loves you so much. He was kidding. He, he seemed pretty serious that if I would try to subject our family to what that would look like while I'm doing uh, this other course that I'm, it's really intense, uh, that, you know, it could be trouble for everyone involved. And he's right. He's so good. He keeps me balanced. But I've won NaNoWriMo four times, and uh, I love it. I think it's great. I've met some of my best friends. I met Maria that way. I met Jess that way. Two people that I've mentioned in this episode, by the way. Uh, And so if you are interested in NaNoWriMo, just to try it and also to make really cool writer friends, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that. Uh, in the next few episodes, as we go through the NaNoWriMo prep series, also a mini-series, and yeah, n- remember, it is never too late to write the story of your heart. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer and I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs>